0: This is, uh, I appreciate having a Sunday school class like this so I can try to cover part one, and then we're going to do part two in the uh, in the service. Uh, it's actually about a seven-week seminar that we're trying to comfortably fit into two sessions, so praise God. If I talk too fast, say amen or oh my... Uh, one of my critics said, "Chuck, it's like trying to drink out of a fire hydrant." Listening to you, but that's all right. I'm going to pray also for our time. Lord, we love you. We need you. We thank you. We invite the Spirit of God to come and help us in Jesus' name. Now, in your Bibles, if you want to go to Second Corinthians ten. <clears throat> 2 Corinthians 10, starting with verse 3. This is the foundational verse uh, for this whole t- seminar. It's on warfare, it's on victory, uh, freedom, increasing joy. As I travel the body of Christ, I'm usually in a different place each weekend. So many sad Christians, uh, frustrated Christians. And so we need to understand some things in a fresh way. Let me tell you a little bit about 2 Corinthians, just so we have a time frame here, a framework. 2 Corinthians was written, of course, by Paul. Actually, Paul didn't write his letters, he preached them, he spoke them, he had a secretary. And he had just been in Ephesus for three years. And it was the greatest trial of his life. When he left Ephesus, he said, I despaired to the point I wanted to die. That's chapter 1, 2 Corinthians. And out of that, the Lord poured out grace and understanding And so 2 Corinthians was written in Philippi about 57 AD after, again, three years of war in Ephesus. Ephesus was the witchcraft center of the world. So we're talking about a guy who knows what he's talking about, and he's a veteran. And he says in verse 3, for though we war in the flesh, we do not war, According to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare. Now, to be saved is to be in a battle. Help me, church. Amen. Or, oh my, is it true? Uh, before you got saved, Satan was kind of satisfied. Because you were going to join him when you die, of course, in hell. And we're kind of like hell's trophies. And then all of a sudden, you get born again. You get saved. Well, now he really gets upset. And it's an all-out, seven-day, 24-hour-a-day warfare. And so Paul says, you're in a war. It, it, don't, don't even think you're not, Please. Uh, we're in a war, and it says weapons. So there's weapons, and it's weapons, of course, in the plural. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh. Now, what Paul means there, of the flesh, would be that human ability, that function of the soul. No, you're not, you're, you're not going to win fighting with those kind of weapons. I was think of David when he's getting ready to take on Goliath. And Saul says, here, take my armor. <laughs> David says, no, uh, I'm not comfortable with that. Uh, I have my own weapons that I have learned to use over a very long time, and they're very, very effective. There are weapons that we'll go through in the second session later on that are incredibly effective. Foundational, but super effective so the weapons of our warfare not of the flesh but of the spirit divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses see on your notes their introduction to be a Christian is to be at war you got two kingdoms light and darkness that are clashing and so my burden in putting this together uh, about midpoint I don't know last year sometime sometime Well, just to help the church to become effective warriors. As long as we're in a battle, would you agree with me, we might as well win. Rather than be a casualty, we are victorious. Uh, Quick sidebar, casualty, if you write the word out and put a line between L and T, You'll find that a casualty is many times a believer who's become casually tied to stuff he shouldn't be tied to. Uh, so, foundational text, uh, Paul says in 2 Corinthians two, verse eleven, I'm I know the schemes of the devil. What I want to emphasize there, it's schemes in the plural. Satan has a variety of his own demonic weapons used in his warfare against us. Schemes is what Paul calls them. Uh, Traps. Snares. uh, Strategies. Uh, In some ways, I think the enemy knows us better than we know us. And he knows your weak point. He knows your vulnerable point. He knows you know, where he can maybe make an inroad. Uh, I'll explain that more later, but we just have to understand there are schemes. Now, there are three foundational scriptures you have there that I have in terms of know your enemy, know your enemy. Isaiah 14, Ezekiel 28, and Genesis 3. Let me give you some things from Isaiah 14. In that portion, or in that chapter, there are five I wills. Write these down. Five I wills. I will ascend to heaven. See, Satan has a lot of ambition. He has a lot of pride. I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above all the other stars. That would be like the other angels. This was what's going on in his heart before he fell. I will sit on the mount. Again, kind of an ascend. Uh, I guess I got four things, not five. I will be like God. Now, there's the taproot of the I wills. I want to be like God. I want to be treated like God. I want to be worshipped like God. Satan hates Jesus Christ. He is the anti-Christ. He's behind all that. When, I, when it says, I will ascend to heaven. Remember Genesis 11 which is the beginning of the Tower of Babel. What are they trying to build? A tower that will reach heaven. See, he's the force behind that. Uh, that is the beginning of religion. That is the beginning of self-religion that can be good enough to be accepted by heaven. The greatest lie in many ways of them all, because you'll never be good enough, right, to reach heaven. Ezekiel 28 gives us a little different uh, aspect of the enemy in terms of, in terms of why he fell. Uh, Satan is absolutely beautiful. If you were to see him, you would be shocked. The medieval uh, characterization of a pitchfork, horns, grotesque, Nothing could be further from the truth. Uh, in heaven, he was the anointed cherub which covereth. Write that down. That's Ezekiel 28. He, he, he's incredibly beautiful. That's the kind of the source of his pride. Uh, he was the anointed cherub which covereth. Basically, what that means is, Satan was the worship leader in heaven. Uh, That's why Satan is incredibly into the power of music. In the secular world, that's obvious. But what's tragic is when he gets into the Christian world in terms of Worship that has gone off track, and I I don't have time to get into that, but it's, and the reason it's a burden for me is because I started out leading worship, and Satan knows the power of worship. He knows the purpose of worship, and he knows the power of music. We could bring in Elton John, he'd get on the keyboard and in 10 minutes, all the believers that are in the soul would be weeping along with him. It's the po- There's a power to that, okay? There's an ability to that. Uh, he was the seal of perfection. That's all in Ezekiel 28 when it's addressing Tyre, the king of Tyre, but it's really addressing Satan. He also was full of wisdom. Think of it. Had all that wisdom and still he fell. Genesis 3 is another foundation, of course, the Garden of Eden. And the first thing when Eve uh, talks back to the serpent, says, no, you know, we can't, we can't eat of that tree. Hath God said, there it is, to get you to deny or uh, distort, hath God said, Uh, and then of course, you won't die, you'll become like God, remember Isaiah 14, I will be like the most high, that's the hook. Uh, that's all behind all your new age stuff. You are God. You are God. Shirley, Shirley McLean, standing on a rock on the beach of California. I am God. I am God. Gabriel whispering up in heaven to Michael, "Come and check this out." <laughs> you know, there it is. So you got Ezekiel fourteen, Ezekiel twenty eight, Genesis. 3, uh, I don't know about you, but even in the church, there's a war against Scripture. See, how can you have a church claiming to be really saved and loving the Bible, and then they'll marry same-sex people? How do you get that? Well, you got to mess with Romans 1 in order to do that you got to take Romans 1 and say, well, that's kind of a cultural weird time that Paul's, forget about it. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to exchange truth for a lie. So here's some of the schemes. Here's some of the schemes. And you see there I have (coughs) nine of them uh, listed there. I'll have some things I want you to add. Pride is the taproot of all demonic characteristics. Pride tempts us to be like God. Pride seduces us to take the place of God. That's that Antichrist spirit. See, when, when we say, well, have God said, and you'll be like God, well, that's exactly what happens. And the reason the reason I can trace back in my own Christian walk the times that I've gotten into trouble or the times you kind of lose a victory and the times you get confused and whatever it's like you took i'm gonna be like god i'm gonna I'm gonna make my own decisions here I'm gonna kind of lead Chuck and when Chuck leads Chuck, it's not good uh so pride is, you know, that's why God hates it. Uh, God is actually humble. It's one of his virtues. He hates pride because of where it leads people. So pride is, is uh, in Genesis 3, when Adam and Eve sin, they discover they're naked They come into that awareness, and what do they do to deal with their naked condition? They sow fig leaves with their own hands. Fast forward to Mark 11, Passion Week. I think it's uh, Monday of that week. Jesus walks by a fig tree. Very strange little incident. What does he do? He curses the fig tree. And, of course, it shrivels up, and the disciples later ask him, Wow, what's that all about? Lord, that's almost unkind to the fig tree. It's not time to produce figs. But, you see, it's, sometimes you've got to look, when you're learning your Bible, go to the mention of first time. And that fig tree remembered, it's like he reminds Jesus, this is why Calvary is necessary. This is why I had to come, because your fig leaves are not adequate. That's the essence of self-religion right there. Try to cover your sin with what? Good works? Be good? Uh... And so he cursed the fig tree. Pride. Luke 18, 9 to 14, there's an incident there. Quickly, a parable. i got to keep track of time. Well, i got a clock right there. Good. Uh, remember, there, there's the uh, publican. Can't even look up. He's, he's just shattered. His life has gone to hell in a handbasket. He's beating his breast. He's a broken man. He's just crying out for mercy. And over here is, is a Pharisee. Oh, he stands so tall. Thank you, God. I'm not like this person. And he goes on and on all about himself. And Jesus is very clear. That publican went home and his issues are dealt with. That pride only is a deceptive veil that keeps you from reality and truth. Number two, attack of the enemy. He's the accuser of the brethren. Revelation 12 verse 10. You've got two ministries ongoing, it seems, before the throne of God itself. One is intercession. How many really appreciate intercessors that really know how to get a hold of God and, and get a hold of his heart and intercede and pray and weep and break? And then you got accusation. I could give you a lot of sad stories in my own life. Uh, sometimes well-meaning even believers, sometimes well-meaning prophetic people coming with a word from heaven, really. And the spirit behind it was that accuser of the brethren. Uh, Satan knows how to make you feel bad. He knows how to get after your insecurities and lead to con- condemnation, guilt, and then if he can get you into that discouragement and maybe depression. Uh, you know, when you look at the story of Job, those three guys, right? They're, they're bringing in many ways a lot of accusation. And God deals with them at the end of Job in a pretty strong way. Uh, I don't... Anyway, I've, I've, I've come under that uh, accusation spirit. Uh, one of the ways that manifests, by the way, he just always critical. He just always critical. <clears throat> and there are some that <clears throat> they're forever seeing a glass <clears throat> half empty. You know, when Jesus corrects the church in Revelation 2, he doesn't start with, What's wrong? He commends them with what's right. And then he goes after what he wants to deal with. That's the heart of Christ. That's how, you know, when you're dealing with your child, uh, love them before you discipline them. When the guy finds the guy beaten on the road, uh, a Samaritan, the good Samaritan... He first puts oil on the wounds before he puts the wine. Why? Well, that wine's got alcohol in it. And you put that on before the oil, it's going to sting a whole lot more than it needs to. I really appreciate God giving me a little bit of his presence, that anesthetic kind of (laughs) relax. I'm going to relax you before I kill you, son. Hang on. Number three, uh, they're, 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 these are like two sides to the same coin. Satan is incredibly religious, and he's obviously very carnal. He doesn't mind. Actually, he, he, he kind of relishes people living in the gutter, strung out on dope, uh, That whole prostitution, sexual perversion. We know our culture, it doesn't take a rocket science to realize America's in the grips of a lot of perversion. Uh, I I, I gave the Super Bowl halftime show about three minutes. I don't need this. Uh, That's just the tip of the iceberg. Come on, church. Uh, I get the perversion in culture. What breaks your heart is what's going on inside the church. Uh, So Satan's totally carnal. But he actually would rather get you hooked on religion. That substitute thing uh, where he comes off as the angel of light with false apostles presenting a false Christ with a different spirit. And even the miraculous happens, they're called lying signs and wonders. Wow. God deals with that pretty severe in Second Thessalonians 2, to the point where the judgment of the Lord on those who are craving th- certain things is God himself sends a delusion. So Satan is behind the beautiful. There's two leavens Jesus warns about in Matthew 14, the leaven of Herod and the leaven of the Pharisees. And Jesus warns about those two leavens, and they both are schemes that carry out this religious thing or this carnal thing. The leaven of Herod, man, the guy was just perverse. I mean, are you kidding me? Herod's birthday party. It was the cultural event of the year to be invited to. It was Super Bowl, Mardi Gras, New Year's Eve, all wrapped up into one. It's the lavish (coughs) banquet table that ends up with his wife demanding the head of John the Baptist on a platter. I mean, you can imagine. The head table, here it comes. It's just sick. Herod was actually raised in Rome for a time, so he was totally familiar with the Roman ways where there were side rooms off the main banquet hall and you could go and do whatever sexual thing you wanted to do. didn't matter, male or female. Uh, You could go and do whatever you wanted to do in the other rooms. You had special rooms where you could upchuck, so you could go and, Gorge yourself some more. It was just carnality to the max. That's the leaven of Herod. The leaven of the Pharisees is that self religion, that prideful, religious way that leads to blindness, hardness of heart. Uh, When you look at Luke 15, the reason the younger brother left is he kept bumping up against elder brother. Elder brother had his act together. He appeared to be so proper, obedient, hard, judgmental, accusation. So behind the scenes, read behind the scenes. Read the the whole story of the prodigal. Number one, it's really about the father. But number two, there's two prodigals, not one. And the elder brother It just ends. We don't know what happened to him if he got right with God. Fear, number four. Fear. Uh, That is Satan's first attack. Uh, Have you ever been sucker punched in life? Have you ever had something happen circumstantially that catches you unaware. My wife goes into the uh, medical room to get the report, and the C word comes. Whoa. Cancer. I mean, we're talking out of left field. We're talking no family history. What's the first reaction? Absolutely. Fear. you got to deal with that. Because if, if we don't deal with that fear and it grabs a hold of our heart, it'll lead sometimes to a kind of panic. It'll certainly lead to anxiety. Uh, it'll lead to sometimes rushing here, rushing there, scrambling in a panic to try to find self-help, whatever. Uh, We stumbled home. I'm dealing with my own kind of fear. And my wife, uh, I had to leave. Uh, We went home, and uh, I went to do a few things and came back in about a half hour. What my wife had done was She put on some worship music, and she had, I could still see her on her knees with her hands raised up in our family room where the worship, where the music system was. It's not complicated, brothers and sisters. It's a daughter crying out to her father, Abba. Uh, it's why you worship your way out of fear and into faith. Uh, I'm getting ahead of myself, but that's one of the weapons that we'll cover in the second session is worship okay uh, but that fear is a real is a real issue. Um, The triangle, if you, if you were to write off to the right of Hebrews 2.15, uh, I want you to just draw a quick little triangle. I want you to write three words there. Uh, for each side of the triangle, they'll each have a word. Uh, one side of the triangle will say word, word. The other angle, the two vertical ones, one to the left put word. To the right, put spirit, and then on the bottom, put love. And then I'll I'll give you three others if you want to add them. You know. Now I, I appreciate if this place is too easy to preach in, so this is not on my note. I wasn't. Plan- it's so, so it's your fault. <laughs> if we don't get done, it's your fault. <laughs> Praise God. On the left put uh, Jesus by the Word. on the right put obviously Holy Spirit, by voice. Did I give you was was it voice? No, it should have been voice. Word and then voice, and then by voice put Holy Spirit. And then of course, by love put Father, Father. And there's the Trinity. And let me just quickly say in about a minute, we were in Cloquet, my first church, pastoring near Duluth there. My wife we had three young daughters at the time. My son hadn't been born yet. And that was a kind of a interesting time because there was a lot of emphasis on end times and how to prepare for end times. There was one book, A Thousand Ways to Prepare Soybeans. Uh we're talking Make a bunker, a protective shelter in your home, and I mean, on and on and on. It was kind of like precursor to Y2K. Remember Y2K? (laughs) Remember when everything was going to go quickly and your computer was going to die and you are going to have to buy a horse? Because society wasn't going to be able to function because of Y2K. All right, this was before that. My wife is very, very protective of our children as they grew up. And so she really unburdened her heart one day to the Lord concerning what, am, what, am, what are we going to do here? And then the Lord spoke to her. I have taken her revelation and have made that another seminar, which I'm obviously not going to give you, but it was that triangle. Here's what God spoke to her as she's crying out, What are we going to do? Know my word, know my voice. And know my love. And you can face anything. Uh, So what I like to do is inside the triangle just put full grace. That's where you'll find full grace. And we want to live in that triangle. Uh, Number five scheme of the enemy. Boy, I could almost put this. Uh, 1A in many ways. The trap of... That's kind of a poor way of saying... Boy, I'm glad my wife didn't see this. She'd definitely get that editorial thing going. And Why don't you just say unforgiveness? The trap of unforgiveness. <coughs> <coughs> okay, class... <laughs> Have you ever been hurt in your Christian life? Have you ever been hurt by a fellow believer? Wow. Uh, You know, the wounds of one who shared bread with me can be the most painful. The trusted one who's got their own issues going, end up becoming those who betray. Painful. Come on. It hurts. It hurts. I remember stumbling. (laughs) I mean, we're talking really close, friend. Uh, And stumbling on a conversation because he was talking too loud. another person and I overheard it. It was really painful. Give that brother enough rope he'll always hang himself. Really. Thank you. (coughs) Actually a statement like that reveals more about him than me. So what are you going to do with your hurts? Unforgiveness. If hurts aren't dealt with, <coughs> they crystallize into bitterness. Bitterness kind of grows its own callous. And you have this phenomenon and unfortunately recurring way too much. Christians with a hard heart Unresolved hurts, crystallizing into bitterness, you see there. Matthew 18 is the wonderful story of Peter and Jesus. And we're talking about forgiveness. Wow, Lord. You mean I got to forgive somebody up to seven times? And Jesus comes back and says, Peter, seven times seventy as if it's almost ongoing. Uh, Do you think Peter, at crunch time in his own life, when he's cursing, when he's denying that he even knows Jesus, spoken out of self-survival and fear, do you think he's really grateful for that forgiveness being extended? Bob Mumford said this years ago, you will never get into trouble with God quicker than if you withhold forgiveness when you should give it. We all, you know, remember the guy that's owned a thousand talents (coughs) and his servant begs him for mercy? And the guy who's owed a thousand talents... Says okay, mercy. And then the servant runs into another guy who owes owes him a hundred talents, and please forgive me. And he's harsh, he's cruel. Uh, be a for forgiver. Ten minutes. Really, I thought we went till ten. We, we went to what? That's when the next, the next, the next service starts. Oh, <laughs> wow! I'm I'm sorry. I I was thinking I had till ten, literally. Okay, I got three minutes. Praise God. The leaven of Jezebel. The leaven of Jezebel. Uh, um, unfortunately, these weapons. I'm realizing as I'm looking. Boy, I, we have a seminar on that as well. Anyway, Revelation two. Proverbs seven are the two main portions of scripture you want to look at how Jezebel operates she's cunning she's very discerning she's very prophetic, false obviously, but she will seduce you to eat foods sacrificed to idols now here's what I want you to really catch quick Satan knows how this works: you become what you eat you become what you eat. Now, you got to get off of natural food, although that plays in as well. That's so what my wife's trying to get me all that organic stuff, right? Uh, but your soul, you become what you eat. So the, Satan tries to get Christians to do this. Write this scripture down next to Revelation 2, Proverbs 7, 1 Corinthians 10. 1 Corinthians 10. It's almost a kind of Scary scripture, but it's it's the word of the Lord. Paul says, You can't do this. I don't want you to partake of the table of the Lord. See, God offers his food. God offers his food, which gives you his life, and you feed on his food, and you grow into maturity and become and start looking more and more like Jesus. That's the whole point. Satan has his table of demons, Paul calls it. You can't go there. Don't feed on the Lord Sunday and then go into that pornography on Monday or that other garbage on Monday because God will get jealous. And you don't want to provoke the Lord to jealousy. Persecution quick. Revelation twelve eleven. A lot of people obviously have died, are dying because... This persecution, though, this weapon of Satan, you think he would learn his lesson over the centuries because whenever the church is persecuted, revival is quick to follow. China is the greatest move of the spirit in the history of humanity in terms of sheer numbers, millions and millions and millions. And then number eight, idolatry and many, many scriptures, but I'll just, Romans 1 And I alluded to it earlier. The trap, the snare, is you exchange truth for an error. Deception. That's idolatry. You start remaking God into your own image. That's what churches are doing when they mess, for example, with Romans 1. You start tinkering with the attributes of God. Don't do that. How you view God is equal, I would say, to how you view the Bible. Is this another book? Is this just another book? Or is it a gift from heaven called the Scriptures, the Word of God, the inspired Word of God that I believe? Uh, would you write this psalm down? Psalm 118, verses 1 to 8. Exchanging truth for air, remaking God to your own liking And it speaks there in Psalm 115 of idols made with human hands and then here's the chilling result. And you become what you make and you become like them what you're beholding and it's all false. We want to become like him. Amen? That's the victory. That's the victory. Mike, this is a long I'm uh, grateful to Mike and the team here that they taped the first session. So if you didn't hear the first part, uh, please listen to that. Uh, I'm doing part two this morning on a seminar the Lord downloaded a few months ago in terms of warfare. Uh, It's based on the verse in 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3, for the weapons of our warfare. And so Paul introduced, obviously, you, you know, to be a Christian is to be at war. And the enemy wants to take you out. Satan wants to ruin your testimony. He wants, particularly for believers who've been saved for a number of years, he likes to pick them off. And... I, I'm not going to go into some of the sad details even within the last year of leaders that have been picked off, serious followers picked off. So you want to be victorious. You want to finish your race well. Can I, can, can I hear an amen? amen. I want to finish well. The race that I'm in, the walk that I'm in, the, the, the growth process that I'm in, So we covered the schemes of the devil in session one. That's on your outline there, part one. Satan has different strategies to try to take you out. To be victorious is to know your enemy. And number two, to know your God and how awesome he is. And so what I want to cover in this morning's session is kind of part two. I have weapons. They're listed on your outline. Uh, there are nine of them, along with a number of scriptures. I will comment on some of them, and we will we will do what we can do. Uh, that's why I'm really grateful the scriptures are there, because you can take this, and you can, in your devotional life, just ponder, pray, meditate on, because what you want in the... And is these weapons effective in your walk? You want to know how to use them, when to use them, and the power they have? Satan hates these weapons because of how they dismantle his attacks against us, the traps, the snares, and all that he tries to do. So let me pray. Father, help me, Lord. Uh, Let me stay on task. Lord, give me good divine editorial happening here. Also, I pray for the spirit of truth to be upon each heart listening, that there would be an impartation, a fresh hunger, a fresh thirst, a fresh desire to know you, love you, and be a blessed testimony to many others in the name of Jesus. During worship, I was... uh, pondering, and I felt like the Lord showed me kind of the remarkable thing that's really happening here in this house. And Mike recounted a little bit uh, going back in the day in the other building. I don't even know where that building is. It's it's a small building, I remember, and, and uh, praise God, we had some wonderful times there. But Mike, you grew up in this area, didn't you, as well as John? And I don't know how many others of you. You need to appreciate what the Lord has done here. I grew up in our mountain, Michigan. Uh, There are people there, particularly some of my classmates, they still don't believe I'm saved. (laughs) And when I go back once a year to speak in, in the local covenant church, some of them will come to verify their unbelief. So to grow up in your hometown, I mean, Jesus Christ himself, this was what they would say. Is this, isn't this? is this Mary and Joseph's son? And they missed the full blessing that could have been. And yet, by the grace of God over the years, because I've been pondering, Mike's been here, I don't know, 24 years pastoring or... This is a real wonderful testimony of the Lord. I'm not looking at men. I'm talking about the grace of God to raise up a work primarily homegrown. Praise God. Thank Jesus. That's a unique situation, which means in many ways there's a unique calling on this house. And you haven't entered into the fullness of it, but you're en route. And, you know, that light on a hill, that Antioch mantle, that thing that reaches beyond local to the nations. But to be effective in your local church, to be a bright, shining light, where all the past stuff, I don't know what Mike Nelson got involved in in high school. Praise God. The only thing I know is he wasn't saved. But now he is. And now he's a voice to be listened to as well as others that have been raised up in this community. Don't underestimate the power of that testimony. I live in Minnesota for a reason. Praise God. Nine weapons for effective victory. Number one, Calvary's blood. Calvary's blood that was shed, the power of the blood of Jesus. Acts twenty twenty eight. there Luke says it's the, it's the blood of God. It's not the blood of a man. It's the blood of God. If you have time or place to write, only God could pay the penalty that was owed God. That's why he had to be incarnated. That's why he had to come. And while he was on earth, he remained God the entire time. Oh, brother, that's... No, there are very significant places in the land that have a faulty doctrine of Jesus. He did not operate just as a man in harmony with the Holy Spirit. He was always God. He was always the God-man, that blood means that I was purchased or paid back. I am owned by God. Romans 3.25, that blood is the propitiation. That, that's a... That's a it's, if you could see the Ark of the Covenant right now, over the Ark of the Covenant is a gold mercy seat. That's what they had in the Old Testament. And that's your propitiation. Because of the shed blood... Of Jesus Christ. See what he did is. He took his blood. And he went to heaven like a courtroom. He presented his blood. The purchase price for us. And heaven said. Paid in full. Your sin debt. Has been paid in full. Past. Present. And future. That is the value. That heaven has for the shed blood of Jesus Christ. What that means is because God's holy. His holiness was satisfied, so instead of giving Chuck Porta judgment, he could extend mercy. The blood of Jesus extends and releases mercy to my heart when I need it at times. Romans 5 verse 9, Romans 1 verse, uh, Revelation 1 verse 5 there, and you're, there it just talks about the tremendous release that comes from the blood of Jesus. Hebrews 9.22 talks about there is no forgiveness without the shedding of blood. Now the enemy wants you to feel bad, he wants you to feel guilty, he wants you to feel condemned, he wants you to... Be reminded of the sins you previously committed and all that garbage. And through the shed blood of Jesus, I can receive forgiveness. Say, thank you, Lord. We lose sight sometimes as veteran believers of very simple and yet powerful words. Do you understand the power of the word forgiveness? I was guilty. I'm forgiven. Thank you very much. Lord, forgiven. Colossians 1.20 says his blood releases peace. The Bible declares this as a peace that passes understanding. In other words, you're in a situation where you should be anxious, which is what the enemy wants. You should be striving. You should be fearful. But when you cry out for that blood of Jesus and for the power of that blood, Peace comes. It's like a canopy over your life. And the peace that passes understanding. What does that mean? It's not reasonable. It's not rational. I've seen believers in a storm that's off the charts, and they're in the eye of that storm, and they're in that peace that passes understanding. I love the peace of God. Sometimes in worship, the presence of God will come so strong, it's like I don't even want to move. Every atom of my being is at rest. Can you can you see that? Peace. Uh, when you're peaceful, the grace of God tends to flow easier. I don't know how else to say it, but... It just happens. I love the peace of the Lord. First John 1, verse 7. Hey, has anybody sinned in the last week? Come on, raise your hands. If you want to raise both of them, that's fine. You probably say got uh, sinned this morning when you couldn't find the kids' shoes. And you got out of spirit into flesh. And uh, There have been times, my wife and I, driving to church on Sunday morning, kids in the back, one of them kind of sick, but we're going there to, you know, be a testimony and go to Sunday service, and then we get into an argument? That's a kind word of saying we got into a fight? Now I got to preach in about an hour. Praise God. In my office, more than once before I went out to the public Sunday morning service, Chuck Port is there on his knees confessing sins that were committed within the hour isn't it good to know that blood cleanses every one of them everyone wow the power of that blood exodus 12:13 that's about passover by the way and when the when the uh, moses was told to put blood on the outside of the door because the angel of death here's the word when I see the blood, I will pass over you. So instead of judgment, I receive protection. See the blood of Christ, the first one that the blood protects you from is God, not the enemy. First uh, Thessalonians 5 is pretty clear there is a wrath of God that is part of his nature. I'm not going to go into that, but it's very, very real and it's very, very holy and you want to be protected by that wrath of God and the only thing that protects you is the blood. That's in 1 Thessalonians five nine. The second weapon, praise God. How many of you love, we sang a lot about it today. The name of Jesus Christ you understand? The devil hates that name. He trembles at that name. The name of Jesus Christ. Acts 4 verse 12. There's Peter standing before the Sanhedrin and he basically says this. There is no other name given among men under heaven by which you can be saved. Wow, Christian, that sounds pretty narrow. I know. Deal with it. Somebody will complain, you Christians who really are All in are kind of narrow. You're not all-inclusive. You're not politically correct. There is no other name. I don't get bummed out that there's only one way to heaven. I am really thankful there is a way to heaven provided by Jesus Christ. There is no other name. Philippians 2, nine eleven. 11 Paul says, His name is above every name. He is exalted above all. Why? Because he humbled himself greater than any. And now his name is exalted. And every knee will bow to that name. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. People on their way to hell will make a final bow and confess He is Lord. Hell, for many is truth found out too late. Aren't you glad you bowed the knee now and confess him as Lord now? Mark 16 verse 17 talks about the name of Jesus and the authority it has to cast out the devil to release awesome deliverance. Some people, your problem is not flesh. Your warfare issue is not flesh. It's a demonic stronghold. This is what's going on in Acts 16 where this girl follows Paul day after day. She's got a spirit of divination. Finally, Paul stops, turns, whirls. In the name of Jesus, come out. The name of Jesus for deliverance. In my name, they will lay hands on the sick. That's why I appreciate your pressing in for healing here. Keep going for it. There is healing in that name. There is deliverance in that name. Romans 10:13, "Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, confessing Jesus Christ as Lord." My mother died at 93. Her funeral was 50 years to the day of my father's, who died at 42. And he would have been 43 that year. And I played for her, first time she heard the song, Fernando Ortega. And when I come to die, give me Jesus. You can have all this world, but give me Jesus. And he talks about, in the morning when I wake, and the times when I'm alone, but the last is, and when I come to die. She couldn't talk because she had a severe stroke, she could just kind of get out words, she could hardly, but not that time. First time she heard the song, she started lipping, and I could hear it very clear, and when I come to die. You know what the sad tragedy of whether whether it's a basketball star that dies at 41 or whoever, that's all that confession is, is one breath. Can you find one breath that confesses him as Lord? You confess that name, one breath, you will be saved. Even on your deathbed, thank you very much, one of my elders in Cloquet, his dad was dying. He was nervous. He was panicking. Earl Kellum, legendary missionary, now in heaven, was a man in rest. He came to the hospital. Please, Earl, hurry, hurry, hurry. No, no, we, we took our time. And old Adolf on that bed in Cloquet Memorial Hospital, confessed Jesus Christ as Lord. Amen. And he went to heaven. That's the power of that name. Revelation 22.4 talks about the name being over your forehead. That's protection. That's protection. And we'll move on to number three. How are we doing? Praise God. What time do you normally end here, Mike? 11.30. Wow. Way to go. I love it. The Word of God. Uh, the Word of God, I hope you love your Bibles. I'm concerned as I travel the body of Christ. There's ignorance in the house of the written Word. Know your Bibles. I, excuse me, Mike, read your, I read my Bible more than I actually study it, which means I read it a lot, have always read it a lot. Why? What are you doing? Why do you want to do that? We're talking about warfare. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. And there's been times in my life, even preaching or witnessing or in everyday life, and you get into that situation, all of a sudden it's like something just bubbles up. Have you ever had that happen? What is bubbling up? The Word of God. How you view the Bible is how you view God. If this is just another book, this is what the enemy wants to do, by the way. The enemy is constantly trying to devalue the word of God, and it's just another book. It's kind of like the Koran, you know. It's, the you know, for Christians, it's whatever. It's just another book, uh... And that's happening in the church right now. That Trojan horse is big-time entrenched, and that means you redo, remake God into a more likable God. The problem is Paul calls that another Jesus who won't take you to heaven. So you want to love the Word of God, and 2 Timothy 3, 16 says, All Scripture is profitable edifying. Mark 4, 1-10, it talks there about the Word of God being like seed. And with a good heart, uh, a broken heart, an open heart, a receiving heart, that seed is so pure. It gets buried into your good heart, and it will produce 30, 60, 100-fold good stuff. Second Timothy 2 Timothy 2.15, this is a really important verse as it ties in with warfare because um, the Bible, as precious as it is, has been used by Satan very effectively because it's mishandled. Second Timothy 2 Timothy fifteen. Paul says, Handle the word of God accurately. Now, next to that verse, I want you to write down because this will jar your memory. The Bible is made up of foundational verses and building block verses. To handle Scripture correctly is to know the difference between the two and to realize this fundamental truth that never varies. Foundational verses are boss. Building block verses have to submit to the boss verses even when they seem to contradict. And so if you seek God, and by the Spirit of truth, Holy Spirit, He will, over time sometimes I've learned, He will help you to interpret accurately the building verses. Let me illustrate. The most important doctrine in the Bible is, who is Jesus? The doctrine of Christ. If you get that one wrong, the atonement and the work on Calvary falls apart. So you got to be really clear on who Jesus is. So let's look at a foundational verse. John 1, verse 1. You can even say it with me. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Child, church, help me. A five-year-old can read that and understand. Wow, Jesus Is God. Wow. There seems to be more than one of them. You got the Trinity. You got the deity of Christ. It's a boss verse. Colossians 1 verse 15. Paul says Jesus Christ is the firstborn of all creation. Charles Taze Russell. He got really picked up. This was be like in the 1860s, 1870s. He's the founder of Jehovah Witness. And he didn't really like Jesus Christ. He certainly didn't like Calvary. He didn't like that bloody religion. So he said, see, even Paul himself says Jesus is the firstborn. He went on to say, by the way, Jesus is actually another name for Michael, the angel that's in heaven. He's the first one created by God. Oh, now you got another Jesus. Jehovah Witness Jesus takes you to hell, not heaven. Well, what are you saying then, Paul? See, that's a building verse that needs to bow the knee to John 1 1. This is just another function, another title, if you will. He's the firstborn of creation. The firstborn in the family was the blessed one. The firstborn was the blessed one with the double portion, the firstborn. Here's the beauty of your salvation, by the way. Sidebar here, quick. You are in the firstborn. You have all the blessing, all the protection, all the wonderful gestures from your Father because you're in Christ. You're the beloved, the firstborn. Uh, Hallelujah, the Word of God. Handle it accurately. Hebrews 4.16, the sister read it. The, The Word of God divides spirit and soul. Why is that so important? Most of my problems, a lot of my frustrations in my Christian life is living by my soul, making decisions by my soul which is either your emotions, your mind, or your will. Hey, you ever make a decision when you're angry? You ever make a decision with that logical, reasonable function of your soul? And it can be totally opposite of what God really wants you to do, which is in the realm of the Spirit. I'll illustrate it. Mary comes, knocks on the door, a little bit hesitant, really, She's, what, 16 years old, 17 years old? She tells her precious, beloved, the man she loves with all her heart. She's as pure as gold. He's a stoic man of character. He himself is pure as gold. And Joseph, I'm pregnant. Hello. It was like a cannon shot right into his heart. And he didn't believe her. In spite of all the tears, all the explanation, oh, great. You're quoting Isaiah 9, Isaiah 7. Angel shows up, and you're pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Mary. That's pretty good. He didn't believe her. He's in soul. He's going to make a soulish decision. And he has a scriptural authority to do it. He can stand on Deuteronomy 32 and enter into the permission of Moses. But he's going to do it quietly because he really does love her. And he's a kind man. And so he goes to sleep that night with his plan kind of laid out. And he'll have to start over. Heaven speaks. The Father and the Holy Spirit said, Hey, this is really important. We got to get this boy on track quick. We got to get him out of soul and we got to get him into spirit. And so a word comes in the form of a dream. Joseph. I, I I don't have time to illustrate the f- my own life. I mean, I'm I'm right there. I made a decision. It's rock solid. I even believe I got Bible back in me, and I'm going away, and I'm going on, and I'm going on, and then I'll just well, I better, my wife will say, I hate when she says it. Have you pr- have you prayed over this? What do you mean pray? This is so logical, so reasonable. It's got to be the Lord. Uh, why don't you pray about it? Here's, here's, the, here's the, I have a check. What do you mean you have a check? <laughs> I, I just have a check in my spirit. Well, at this point, Kitty's in spirit. Chuck is flat out, full bore into soul. And then I start to pray in the spirit, pray in tongues, do a little bit of worship, and before you know it, my passion to buy a trailer. <laughs> I mean, honey, think about it. it's not that expensive. I'm not n- negative. I really love trailers. I took her on. I took her on searching them out, searching them out, and think of the flexibility. Think of the cheaper price. And I have a check. We never bought the trailer. Trust me. <laughs> John 8, 32, that truth will set you free. That truth will set you free. Number four, awesome, awesome weapon. The Holy Spirit, come on. Church, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. God's not interested in you trying harder. He's not interested in those old bootstraps that you try to do that pull-up on. Just dead end, dead end. It's all by the Spirit of God, not by might, not by power. That's all soulish stuff. I remember talking to a very, very gifted leader, and I said flat out, you're too gifted. Your soul gifting is in the way of keeping you from flowing in the Spirit. That's why God really loves brokenness. Luke 12, 49, this is why I came, Jesus says. I came to cast fire on the earth. Jesus came for three reasons, as I can see it. Maybe there's more. Number one, I came to seek the lost. Number two, I came to reveal my Father. At the end of his life, he basically tells Philip, if you see me, you see the Father. He's the exact replica, exact representation of the Father. And number three, I came to cast fire. But I can't do it. That's Luke 12, 49. I can't cast fire because i got to drink a cup first. I have to go to Calvary first. Then he goes to heaven and that's all Pentecost is, is a gift of the Father to the Son. It's called the promise of the Father. Luke, I think twenty-four forty-nine. It's called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's called Pentecost. And I need the power of Calvary, and I need the power of Pentecost. I have never understood the rationale. I'll receive all the benefits of Calvary, but I say no to the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Why? It's why He came. To fill you with fire. To fill you with holy wind from heaven. And when you're filled with that holy wind of heaven, out of your mouth comes tongues first, then prophecy, and then worship that touches God in the realm of the Spirit that my soul can only go so far, my spirit goes farther. That's why I love to sing in tongues. I was singing in the spirit, half the time this morning. I want to listen to the fella in the cellar, out of my innermost being shall flow rivers of living water, rather than the fanatic in the attic. (laughs) Thank you very much. John 7, Jesus speaking of the spirit of God, out of your innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. That's the voice of God. It's the voice of God. That's why it expresses itself in in praying in the Spirit, tongues. 1 Corinthians 12, 14, the Holy Spirit's got all kinds of gifts, nine gifts. And prophecy, Paul emphasizes in chapter 14, Romans 8, 15, this is really crucial. Paul's the only apostle who had this revelation. He's called the Spirit of Sonship. Warfare, boy, I'll tell you what. Remember Jesus in the garden? Right at crunch time, he looks up to heaven and he says, Father, is there any other way for the cup to pass? Is there any other way? And then soon after, nevertheless, not my will, That would be his soul speaking. Thy will be done. Abba, Father, is the heart cry of the Holy Spirit when you're in your Gethsemane of life. And you will have them. You'll have more than one. I call them dark hours. Gethsemanes. Wrestling. Can I bow the knee to my heavenly Father or am I going to maintain? I want, to, I want this thing to be saved rather than die. The spirit of sonship releases within your heart a prayer. Not my will, but thy will be done. That's victory. That's when the enemy is disarmed. The spirit of sonship is really, really important. Five, worship. I started out leading uh, worship in my ministry back in the early 70s. You want to really study a lot, Tabernacle of David. Really get it. You want to be a church that has this big canopy called the Tabernacle of David over it. Wow. Wow. It is radical, it's revolutionary, it's life-giving. It's David's tabernacle. Worship is both an offensive weapon and a defensive weapon. Worship, I can go hide in that tabernacle of worship. This is what he says, or David means in Psalm 27, verse 4. One thing have I desired, that will I seek, that I may dwell, live, in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, because in that house I can behold... See, worship's all about beholding. Why is that important? You become what you behold. So if the guy's looking at 3 o'clock in the morning, pornographic stuff on the computer when the family's asleep, you will carry that out. You'll become what you behold. But if you behold the beauty of Jesus Christ, if you behold his holiness, and, and some of the songs we sang today are really good. You become what you behold. You're transformed. 2 Corinthians 3, Paul says, When you see Jesus, you're transfigured. Same word, transformed. Incrementally. Uh, incrementally. Worship is so awesome. Uh, worship is not something you do so we can hurry and get to the Word. That's why it's really good, by the way, to do worship and then healing. Wow, they go hand in hand. There's nothing like the presence of God. Please say yes. It what, it's what makes you unique. Moses said in Exodus 34, if you, 33, if your presence doesn't go with us, game off. We're in trouble. So you got to love worship. Uh, John 4, 24, that's Jesus with the woman at the well. And all of a sudden, she drinks the water he talks about. She gets this incredible drink. First thing out of her mouth is... Worship. Tell me about worship. A a person that's really born again instinctively wants to worship. When I look at a generation that are indifferent, sitting on their hands, not even singing the songs, almost looking bored, I get really concerned. Because true worship instinctively flows out of the born-again spirit. You can't force it. It's just there. You're like a newborn babe that desires sincere milk of the word. And so my father seeks worshipers in spirit and in truth. Is that important. Uh, Psalm 27, Psalm 91, that's that protection thing. Acts 16, worship will lead a jailbreak. <laughs> worship will lead a jailbreak. You can worship your way out of prison into freedom. Paul and Silas decided by the grace of God to worship that night. Heaven responds with an earthquake for the ages, and the prison doors uh, blast open. Every prisoner fled when the doors opened. Is that true? They all stayed there. Are you kidding me? The presence of God is so awesome, and what these guys are singing, I don't believe, but it's really awesome, and they all got saved. The future apostle of the Philippian church was in the jail that night. Epaphroditus, he got saved. The jailer got saved. The wife got saved. Worship, you can go out of prison with it. 2 Chronicles 20, wow. Praise God. We're going to do this, Mike. I, I have hope. 2 Chronicles 20, Joshaphat facing the greatest enemy of his life. In the... Tabernacle of David, they begin to pray and seek God and cry out to God, and a prophet releases a word. I love it. This is the time when you don't want to hear, well, I think God may be saying, maybe the Lord's saying this. Uh, It's my opinion that this is, no, that's low level. Thus saith the Lord. I like that. You need not fight in this battle. I'm taking over. Well, Jehoshaphat, would you say that's an encouraging word? Because they're facing the Nazis of their days. They're really mean, really cruel. Uh, And so the next day they have a council with his leaders. Well, I forget his name now. It starts with a J, the prophet. He's got a good reputation. You know, there seemed to be a pretty good anointing on the word when he spoke it. What do you brothers believe? Well, I believe it's the Lord. Amen. Well, then we need to obey that word with faith. Any wise things, steps we should take? (laughs) Somebody gets in the spirit over here. Against all reason, remember soul? All counterintuitive. Well, if we really believe it's God, and we really believe the Lord has taken ownership of the battle, and that it's his, then I think we should put the army in the back and let the young families with the infants lead. Ooh. That's kind of getting it all out there, isn't it? Because here come the chariots and the horses trained for war. Here come the warriors that will open up your pregnant womb and throw up that infant and it will land on a sword. I mean, we're talking... Is that the Lord? And they obeyed the prophetic word. They put the army in the back, and they sang. We've been singing it for a long time. Great is Thy, what, what is it? Help me! I forget. Great is Thy faithfulness. Great is Thy loving kindness. Was it the Lord? Oh boy, you wouldn't have wanted been the enemy that day, because here comes the fury of heaven, the fury of a holy God with all the resources of heaven, to dismantle and destroy a serious attack of the enemy. Pray and sing in the Spirit, Jude 1, verse 20. Number six, divine placement in the body of Christ. How in the world is that a weapon? 1 Corinthians twelve thirteen says, you were baptized into Christ by the Holy Spirit. That means the day you got born again, you're literally immersed into Christ. Ephesians 5.18, Paul talking about the body of Christ locally. That would be like a gathering like this. Hey, I want you to not get drunk with wine. I want you to be baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit. I want you to sing to one another, prophesy to one another, minister to one another. I don't know about you, but... Uh, part of that local church where the Spirit of God is really flowing is going to give you a lot of encouragement and a lot of confidence in the day of your personal battle that's going on in your life. The local church is the source of victory. I like your name. Isn't it victory? Isn't that better than defeat local church of Ballotin? <laughs> Praise God. You got to like victory. Hebrews 13, 7, 17, Obey your leaders, submit to them, that it may go well with you, and also that it may go well with the leaders, that there be a joy in the house. There's that dynamic of the local church. That's why Hebrews ten twenty five says, Don't forsake the assembly. The idea there is like puzzle pieces. Isn't it a drag when you got that puzzle going and you just can't find a few pieces? They just don't. It's just empty. Well, I'll say it kindly. John Doe needs to be at Victory Christian Church in Palatine, not in, he's displaced. The local church you're a part of is an issue of lordship You don't go to that church because you like the nursery color (laughs) or the children's program. You don't go to the church because you like the preaching, even because you like the worship. You go to the local church because you submit to the lordship of Jesus Christ and his placement of you in that church. And then you can minister one to another. You have gifts I don't have you got things I don't have, I don't see. I need Bob Fricky. He has a perspective I don't have. That's why overcoming in the scriptures is never singular. It's always plural. We shall overcome. Romans 8, 37, 39. We shall overcome. One of the greatest battles in the history of the church was the Colosseum, where believers were butchered by wild animals, to death. And yet they overcame, loving not their life even unto death, and heard in heaven, well done, good and faithful. Paul addressed them and said, we overcome. You will never be separated from the love of God. Did the mic, how we doing? Is it working? Praise God. I hear we have a radio man there in the booth. Can we hear an amen for the radio man? All right. Believer's baptism. It's a powerful weapon. Number seven, quickly. Believer's baptism. That means after you got born again. That means hopefully out in a public body of water, river, a lake. Believer's baptism is powerful. Absolutely essential for victory. So please, please do it. Romans 6 is clear. When you really see the power of believers' baptism, you died. See, Calvary is is more than one death. You died that day with your Lord. Can you see it? And then embrace the full believer's baptism. That's what Ephesians 1 verse 18 is all about. The eyes of our heart be enlightened so that we may see. Please read Colossians 2. You'll find there, believer's baptism is likened to circumcision. Physical circumcision, just a cutting away, a separation. Believer's baptism, the circumcision of Christ, made by Christ himself in the Spirit. It's not a fleshy thing. That's Calvary. It was like a a sword, a knife. And if you can see it, man, I I don't have... What do I owe my flesh? I owe my flesh nothing. How about you? The only thing your flesh ever did was get you in trouble. That's why God isn't going to remake it or remodel it. He's going to kill it. The throne of grace, number 8, Hebrews four sixteen. there is a high priest on that throne. His name is Jesus Christ. It's a throne of grace. The closer you get to that throne the more you will want to bow. And in that humble bow, you will find more grace. It's a throne of grace. Boy, I've had to go there many, many times over, it'll be 50 years, April, that I made that first confession. Romans 5 speaks about the power of God's grace. It is stronger than sin. Please say that with me. Grace is stronger than sin. Don't concentrate on your sin. Concentrate on that throne. And ask for grace to deal with that sin. You can read 2 Corinthians 12 and Hebrews 12, 15 in terms of weakness attracts grace. Bitterness repels grace, but brokenness attracts grace. And the last one I have there is the sovereignty of God. Why is that a weapon? God's sovereignty means God is in charge. He's the God of the universe. Nothing happens that doesn't first pass through the hands of the sovereignty of God nothing Romans 8:28 is your anchor verse for God's sovereignty here's why i love the sovereignty of God it gives me peace gives me hope it can provide rest when life is crazy and it doesn't make any sense. On a Saturday night in July 1985, I get a phone call about midnight. Laverle Severson is in the hospital with his daughter, Mary, excuse me, Tessa, along with her friend Mary. He's at Mercy in Anoka. Had been in Princeton, went to Mercy. That night, Tessa... Driving home, 16 years old, with Mary and her younger sister, Tanya, in the back seat, who's 11, same age as my Christine. They went to Dairy Queen in Princeton. They're driving back to Laverle's farm rural home. She loses it on the gravel road, slides off into Fall Fallhaber's yard, close to Laverle's house, His one of his deacons. Hits a pine tree, bam. Tessa has a broken arm, a broken leg. Uh, She had the broken leg. Mary had the broken arm. Couldn't open the doors because it hit the tree and they're jammed. By the mercy of God, the windows are down. So she crawls out with a broken thigh bone and pulls Mary out the front window, drags her away to safety because by now the car's on fire and it's growing. She goes back to get her sister Tanya in the back seat. She reaches for the handle. She cannot open it because it was jammed. Those windows were up. Eventually, the vehicle gets so hot, she has to crawl back. Riney Fallhaber looks out the window, calls Laverle and his wife Lois. Laverle, your car's on fire in my yard. Mom and dad are first at the scene. Where's Tanya? By the time they got there, the vehicle was totally engulfed in flames. Tanya's in the back seat. So you go to the hospital in emergency. You're there all night long with Lois and Laverle. It's crazy. Doesn't make sense. This man loves God. His wife loves God. He's faithfully pastoring the church. He has five daughters. This is his baby, Tanya. I used to see the interaction between him and Tanya. I have to do the funeral, along with Jim McCracken. Laverell said, "I want you to speak." Laverell could hardly speak himself, so I got to prepare a message. And God gives me Romans eight twenty-eight to my frustration. What can possibly be good out of this disaster? You know, the kind of Issues that question, is God loving? Is he really kind? Is he really in charge? Sovereignty when life doesn't make sense. So I, I, I sought the Lord. I, I was very reluctant. I, I had to pray in tongues a lot. And God gave me 10 things. I wrote them in the margin of my Bible, which I don't have. of good that came out of her death. And I remember number one, number one was she's in heaven. Somebody say, that's good. That's That's really good. We're talking ultimate homeschool here. (laughs) Levero, who loves his daughter, he couldn't even hardly walk. He was draped over a couple of friends and was dragged to the front of the church, and he just sat there an emotional mess. Lois was somewhat stoic, and there was a grace on her to kind of, you know. And we did the service. There wasn't a dry eye in the house. I went through my ten things and finished, and the presence of God was there like it always is because he does take the sting out uh, at least a little bit, and there still is hope. We will see her, Right? And then about two months later, it was a flip-flop. Laverel came into kind of a stoic grace, and Lois fell apart. Mama fell apart. Everybody has a mama. And she fell apart. And she's interceding and crying out to God, and she has a vision. I mean, she's watching a movie of Tanya in heaven, walking with Jesus hand in hand in this beautiful meadow. And it was obvious she was full of joy, and she just had eyes for Jesus, and he just had eyes for her, and there was this really cool... I mean, Tanya was really prophetic. From the day she was born, she was seeking the heart of God. She wrote things and drew things that was so gifted and... You know, See, our natural thing is, wow, so young. Help me, church. What is 11 years versus 91 years fractionally in timeless, endless eternity? You know what it is? Nothing. We're the one that put values on that stuff. I'm working so hard for that retirement. Really? going the last, I mean, come on. (laughs) Come on. It's not even that when it comes to eternity. As soon as Lois had that vision, her great intercessor buddy, remember, we shall overcome. Lois, I just had a vision of Tanya. And she explains in vivid detail the exact movie. And mama's heart got released that day and started to get healed. Wow. She really is in heaven. Missionary couple, Africa, pregnant. Seven months with twins. Are martyred during a prayer meeting. Ten years later, that ministry group is in the same room doing the same intercession Crying out to the Lord, and one of them had a vision of mama and papa and two young girls that looked 10 years old, martyred in the womb. Come on, church, that's a good homeschool. <laughs> We're growing up here, and hello, and you're going to stop at about 33. We're going to become just like him. Come on, sisters. You, there should have been a big amen right there. Many of it. you got a rewind coming. We will look just like you. There, I got it. There it is. Nine weapons. Hey, go, go for it. Read those scriptures, pray over them, and just make that heart cry, Lord, I want to I end my journey well. I want to finish well. In Jesus' name. Father, seal this to the hearts of your people. Lord, seal it. Let it be holy seed planted in good hearts, bringing 30, 60, 100-fold in Jesus' name.